You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Well, hey, friends. We'd love for you to open your Bibles to uh, Luke's Gospel, and we'll be in the eighth chapter. And we'll start towards the back part of the 42nd verse. So Luke 8, 42b. Luke 8, 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Just want to talk briefly this morning on Celebration Sunday about how Jesus moves uh, towards us and then how we move towards him. Something really fascinating about Luke's gospel is that very early, uh, the popularity of Jesus is evident in Luke's account. Uh, meaning that Jesus spent about 30 years in obscurity. And then once he stepped into his formal ministry, he walked out of obscurity really into full-fledged celebrity. Uh, And so everywhere he went, Luke's account shows that the crowds just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, and, and, you know, this is not only, you know, you don't just see that in his gospel. You see it even in the language on the, on the back end of verse 42. It says, the people pressed around him. Uh, you could translate that word pressed as crushed. And it's also how in the parable of the sower, uh, it's the word for how the thorns actually choke out the word of God. And so it's very uh, specific language about how Jesus is being really pressed in uh, by the crowds. Uh, he has stepped into celebrity at this point. Uh, and then I think, and you may know where I'm going here, I think what makes this passage even more uh, unique is that uh, it's sandwiched between a larger story, and that story is Jairus, who is the ruler of the synagogue, who has come to Jesus and said, his 12-year-old daughter is dying. Will you go see her? And Jesus agrees to do so. So on his way to seeing Jairus, uh, seeing Jairus' daughter, he actually encounters this woman now who herself has been bleeding out for 12 years. And so the point, to make it simple, is that Jesus is an extraordinarily popular person with huge demands on his time. And that's the context for which we keep reading this story, verse 43, and there was a woman 
who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. I want you to imagine the person you know who's had it worse than anyone else you know. Just picture the person, you probably know somebody. And I want you to picture this woman in the category of that person. In fact, she may be beyond the category of the person you know who's had it worse than anybody else. Uh, she has her, uh, what, it, what we likely believe or understand to be a uterine hemorrhage. And she has done everything she knows to do to heal herself up. Mark gives us even more description in his gospel where he says that she had suffered much under many physicians. And so she is flat broke, having seen several people because the cost of what she is dealing with is embarrassing and shameful. And what this means is that she has lived a constantly unclean life. And as a Jew, that would have been especially significant. She is divorced and attached from community and she lives in constant shame. If you know anything about Old Testament purification, there are really two kinds of shame that uh, people, that the people of God approached God with sacrifices to atone. One is the more direct sin, sin with a high hand. This is the kind of shame that is a good shame. Uh, it's the kind of shame that Adam and Eve experienced uh, when they went around God and not to God. And instead of being naked and unashamed, they were now naked and ashamed. And that's this thing that pricks your heart when you realize that you haven't lived up to God's standard. That is the kind of shame that in the Old Testament sacrifices meant to purify. But there's a second kind of shame as well. And that is a shame uh, that comes from uh, things like skin diseases and contacts with dead body. Uh, and, and menstrual bleeding, and even being in a family polluted by the mistakes of a member of your family. And I could go on and on and on. And what uh, a Jew had to do in the Old Testament was to continually be pure before God through these ceremonial sacrifices and purifications. And what we know is that this woman is constantly on the outside of community. She's on the outskirts because she's bleeding and she simply cannot get her body pure which would have meant that she lived in a constant unyielding shame in her life. What is shame? What is shame? Ed Welch helps us a great deal. I'll quote him here and in other places in our brief little talk, but uh, Ed Welch says this about shame. It is the deep sense that you are un unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you and you feel exposed and humiliate, humiliated and there are witnesses to your experience. And this woman had felt acute shame her entire life on the outskirts of society. And she had spent everything she had to fix the problem to no avail. So let's see her encounter now with Jesus. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. She comes up from behind him, that's significant, and she experiences the immediate stoppage or ceasing of this thing that had plagued her now for 12 years. Why does she, 
walk up from behind. You and I both know why. Because she was embarrassed. Shame keeps us isolated and fearful. She's doing everything she can to avoid the public response. You know, you can picture her in your head, like the crowds are pressing in on Jesus and she's this social outcast and she thinks maybe I can sneak my way in there, touch his garment, walk away, be healed, experience that and not have to share with anybody else the tragedy of my life. That's why she sneaks up behind him and touches his garment. And we, we get like, we get this, Right? Like at some level, we understand, we understand this. You know why? You, you want to know what shame is? There's actually a really practical way to answer shame in your life. Do you know, you want to know where your shame is? Here's the question to answer. What do you not want people to know about you? What do you not want people to know about you? That's your shame. I... Um, you know, our shame goes a lot of different directions. It, it might be something horrible that you experienced in your life that's just nearly impossible to talk about from your past. Could be the way you look or the way you think you don't look. It could be the amount of money you have, especially the amount of money you don't have. Maybe a, a career that is just not anything like you think it is, a, a, a job title that brings you embarrassment. Maybe it was getting picked on as a kid and, and still feeling like you, you get picked on. Maybe it's a season of life where you did really dumb stuff. Maybe it's your relationship status. Maybe it's who you're married to. Maybe it's the fact that you aren't married yet. Maybe it's honestly the fact that you don't go on any dates or nobody's ever asked you out on a date. Or I mean, there's all kinds of things that plague us with shame. And, and, and what, where, what shame does, shame is, it, it lodges deeply, it's stubborn and it lodges deeply in here and it won't ever go away, but it is the experience of the intentional or unintentional rejection of somebody else. That is our shame. And uh, I actually did an exercise this weekend preparing for this talk of just going back deep into my past and writing down everything of which I had experienced shame. And I realized that the had was not a completely past tense exercise, that there are things that still get at me from my past. And when I made that list, I went, oh, that hit. Yeah, that hit, that hit. Shame is this quiet companion that stays lodged in our soul it makes us constantly feel that we are on the outside of everything that is good and right. And so she touched him trying and believing that maybe she could get healed, but maybe nobody would know about it. How does he respond? Verse 45 and 46. Jesus said, who was it that touched me when all denied it? Peter said, Peter's such a great pragmatist. Master, the crowd surrounds you and they're pressing in on you. He's like, Jesus, like, get over it. Move on. We got somewhere to go. Verse 46, but Jesus said, no, someone touched me 
for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Who touched me? Jesus asked. I hope you know he's not taking a census. He's not trying to get his data right. He's not confused. He's not going, hang on, was it you or you? I'm not really a detail-oriented guy. Which one of it was? It's not, it's not what he was doing. No, the reason that Jesus asked that question is because he felt power leave him. He knew what had happened and he wanted her to be unhidden. He wanted her to be unhidden. He wants her to be known. You know why? Because she has a testimony. Because she's a beloved daughter and she's made in the image of God and she has a testimony. And that stops Jesus in his tracks. You know why? Because she's more to him than the healing she wants. Jesus wants to heal her, but more than that, he wants to know her. And you understand that there's not an aspect of shame in her life or in our lives that Jesus, no, there's not an aspect of shame or a feeling of worthlessness that Jesus doesn't want to heal. But he doesn't just want to heal us, he wants to know us. This is why when the paralytics, uh, when the friends bring the paralytic before Jesus, Jesus in a controversial way says, your sins are forgiven instead of get up and walk. He eventually does that too. But what he's trying to say is, yes, this man is paralyzed circumstantially. And yes, that does bring shame, but I can do something even more significant. I can change his entire relationship with me so that I share my honor with him and that his life is accounted for, which is a more significant thing. But what Jesus is doing is that he is trying to invite her into his honor. He's saying, I'm the God who can take your shame. You can humiliate me with your shame. You can touch me and give me your shame and I will gladly give you my honor. And I think it's an important reminder that Jesus stops and sees her and asks her name because he's busier than any of us in the room have ever been or ever think ourselves to be. There are no celebrities to my knowledge at Northway Church, not one. And even if you were, your celebrity doesn't match that of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I promise. And so in the midst of extraordinary demands on his time, while he's literally going to save a woman's life, he stops because she has a testimony and that's worth his time. And that's the savior we serve, but we keep going in verse 47. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. What's happening here? Why did she touch him? Why? She had faith, not perfect faith. She's still trembling. Like she's mixing faith and fear, but she has enough faith to go, you know what? I could be that desperate so as to throw myself at you and experience your healing. And you know what? That, that is beautiful to Jesus. You know why? Because we're actually never saved by how much faith we have as if God ever demanded perfect faith from us. We would all fail that. We are saved by the object of our faith, not by the quality of our faith. But interestingly enough, amidst the fear in her life, she has enough faith to reach out to him. She was so bold as to think that maybe he would share his power and his honor with her. 
she felt worthless, weak, needy, hopeless. In a word, she felt unlovable. Yet so unlovable that she would have the courage to throw herself on the mercy of God. And you know what she shows us? Those are exactly the people that Jesus takes. That's exactly who he wants are the unlovables. Those of us who are so at our end that we can say, I have sinned against you and I need cleansing from you and, or I have experienced intentional and un, or unintentional rejection all of my life, so much so that I've always felt on the outside of the community. I have always felt shame over this area. And that is exactly the kind of person that Jesus wants to heal. Those of us who are humble enough to say, hey, listen, I, I, don't, just, I don't just kind of understand this woman. I am this woman. I am exactly like her. And I have nowhere else to go and nothing else to do but to throw myself at the mercy of God. And what does she do? Having been honored, having been cleansed, she speaks up with a testimony and says, this man healed me. You know what she's saying? I am now associated with him. You know what she's done? She has contaminated the king. She has actually been so courageous as to say, what if you take the worst part of me and what if I receive the best part of you? And Jesus goes, yeah, that's exactly what I came for. So you're in. He loves the nobodies. He loves the unlovable. You know why? Because those are the ones that are honest. Those are the ones, that, those are the ones who actually understand the brokenness of the human condition. And what does he say to her? Two things. Daughter, which is a very interesting word because she's almost certainly older than him, but he uses familial language. You know why? Because he's now relating to her at a heart level as one who has been cleansed. And he says, go in peace. That's not an emotive, subjective word. That is a identity change. Your life is now spoken for and you are hidden with me and everything's gonna be okay because she encountered the king. So I said, seeing how Jesus moves towards us and then how we move towards him, Jesus to us. So I, I just think if we just stop and sit in this for a little bit, like he came from heaven to here for a reason, he had to. He didn't leave heaven without a purpose. And that purpose was to come and share his honor and receive the burden of anybody who would want it. That's literally why he came. But in Luke's gospel, he's so busy, so popular, more busy, more popular than you and I think, and more legitimately busy than we think we are. And yet he stops and he sees a woman to share his power and to see her. Do you see him? Do you see the God who's come for you? Do you, like, he can't come any farther. He can't get any closer. There's no more humility to pour out of God. 
He's availed himself entirely to you, so much so that the king of the universe, king of the universe stops to have a conversation with a nobody. Because she means that much to him. Do you see Jesus moving towards us? And then what about us to Jesus? What can we learn from her? My first question, can we become desperate enough to actually follow this, woman, this woman's example? Because again, do you know who gets Jesus in the Bible? The nobodies. Do you feel unlovable? Do you feel worthless? Do you feel like a failure? Do you feel like an outcast? Do you feel like you're constantly living in the intentional or unintentional rejection of the people around you? Good. You're exactly his type. You're who he wants. You're who he came for. Shame is what we don't want people to know about us. And pride is what keeps us isolated, quiet, and unwilling to share what's wrong because maybe, just maybe, we can fake our way into being loved and accepted by others. Can I give you a cheat code on that? It never works, ever. Ask old people if that works. It doesn't. It's pride that's getting in the way of actually being honest about the things that we don't want people to know about us. And here's what Welch says. When you live in constant shame, you are giving more authority to your worthlessness than to Jesus. And that's a problem. And that's a problem that Christ has come to solve. How do we get out? It's a simple question. Are you willing to contaminate the king? Are you willing to see yourself as so dirty and so broken and so unlovable and so on the outskirts that you yourself reach out and lunge for his garment. And if so, if you're willing to do, if you're willing to contaminate the king and see him shamed on the cross for you, then he's willing to share his honor with you. That's why he came. Is that, is that not intuitive? Is that counter cultural? Is that counterintuitive? Yes, it absolutely is. Grace always is, but that's Christianity. Mercy and grace triumph. He wants to heal you, but he doesn't just want to heal your circumstances. He wants to know you and he wants you to experience wholeness. And he wants you to see that what he experienced on the cross was the shame that he despised. He knew exactly who he was every second of his life. He never let a single person, including Satan, ultimately mark him as anything other than the son of God. And he gave that life as a sacrifice for you and for me, as a gift to be received by faith. So my first question, how do we get out? Are you willing to contaminate the king? Are you willing to throw your shame at him and be really honest like this courageous woman and receive his honor? And then the second thing, we got to talk to him about it. And we got to talk to other people about it. We got to say, hey, I'm, I feel unlovable and I'm not just going to hide in the fringes like that woman wanted to. I'm going to come out in the open. I'm going to talk to God and other people and I'm going to say I'm unlovable. And I believe that you want to know me and I want to experience the knowledge of you wanting to know me. I want to share your honor and I want to not believe lies. Will you help me, God, to do that? And will you tell your community the same? And you know what will happen is that shame will slowly begin to uh, find its way out of your life because you will receive a more compelling affirmation. 
you will see Christ on the cross, shame for you, and you will realize that you've never actually experienced anything that shameful. And his shame will dislodge your shame. But then you'll see him coming to share his honor with you, and that will fundamentally change your sense of self-worth because you'll understand that in being touched by God, he literally is sharing his honor with you. And that's our way out. And then if you can believe this and live into it and grow into giving God your shame, what you don't want people to know about you and receiving his honor, we can then slow down enough like our savior to help people like he did not believe the lies that they believe either. That's how good he is to us. This is how Jesus moves to us and how we can move towards him. I'm grateful for our courageous sister's example. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the clarity of your word. I ask your blessing upon us that we would receive the honor that is ours, the forgiveness that is ours, the mercy that is ours, and that we would not allow shame, not allow the past, not allow the present, not allow lingering accusations of how we feel be this ultimate thing that defines us. May we not give more power to these lies than to the affirmation of Jesus Christ being spoken over us. Will you help us to believe that and worship you now in faith? We pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 4 p.m. and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.